verses of chapter 7, and then if you want to fill in the gap, we're going to miss a few verses in between, then we're going on to chapter 8 and the first 18 verses of chapter 8, because it kind of fits together as, as a, a unit. Um, hope you're okay with that. Okay, when Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram, and that's uh, the Arameans, or Syria, if you'd prefer to hold that in your mind. Syria is Aram. And Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel. And when we talk about Israel here, it's the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, when uh, the uh, kingdom of Israel was split into two. Um, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son, Shear Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and do not be afraid. Do not lose heart because of those two smoldering stubs of firewood. Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remalia, Aram, Ephraim and Remalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabil king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says, it will not take place, it will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim too will be shattered, will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Mermalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. I'm going to read that bit again, that's important. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord, your God, for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike since any since Ephraim broke away from Judah, he will bring the king of Assyria. In that day, the Lord will whistle for the flies from the Nile Delta in Egypt and for the bees from the land of Assyria. They will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the crevices in the rocks on all the thorn bushes and all the water holes. In that day, the Lord will use a razor hired from beyond the Euphrates, the king of Assyria, to shave your heads and private parts and to cut off your beards also. Yes. And then from chapter 8. The Lord said to me, take a large scroll and write on it with an ordinary pen. 
Maha Shalal Hashbaz. So I called in Uriah the priest and Zechariah, son of Jeberachiah, as reliable witnesses for me. Sorry. Then I made love to the prophetess. That's Isaiah's wife, by the way, if you're worrying. And she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said to me, name him Maha Shalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to say, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoices over Rezin and the son of Romalia, therefore the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty flood waters of the Euphrates, the king of Assyria, with all his pomp. It will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks, and sweep into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it, and reaching up to its neck. Its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land, Emmanuel. Raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for, the God, for God is with us. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble, they will fall and be broken, they will be snared and captured. Bind up this testimony of warning and seal up God's instruction among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. Here I am and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. Gosh, I can imagine how it's hard, going to be really hard for you because um, unless you've got those words in front of you, I'm going to be working through that kind of passage, but um, hopefully you'll remember some. And, and one of the, this passage in Isaiah, I hope you will have been bringing up all your um, remembrances of how many are quoted in the New Testament. Did you not recognize so many of those verses are quoted in the New Testament? So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the Bible, your word, and we want to be shaped by it and know the truth of it. And so will you, by your Holy Spirit, come and inhabit this time that we share together, that this message that I bring from this passage will be a message that can speak into our lives. And not just our lives, but the life of our very nation and the nations of the world. We thank you for the prophet Isaiah. We thank you for his ministry. We thank you that we have his words recorded for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I don't know if you've ever seen the film Bruce Almighty. Anyone seen that film? No. One, two, three, four. Ooh, owning up now. Um, it's a bit old now, um, but it was comedy and uh, about a guy who thinks he can do a better, God than, a better job than God. Okay? And uh, in the end, God says, okay, here it is. You have my powers. See what you can do. But before that happens, there is one scene in the film that resonates with this passage for me. Uh, the, 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 the guy, Bruce, is driving down a road at really, really high speed. And he's praying to God. And he's saying, God, give me a sign. Show me what to do. And at that moment, as he's driving down this road at high speed, one of those roadsides signs illuminates, one of neon sign illuminates and says, caution, slow down. And he completely misses it because he's just driving so fast. And then he continues to pray and he says, God, would you give me a sign? And just at that moment, a big truck comes past him and pulls out in front of him. And the truck is full, absolutely full of road signs, one on top of another. And they're saying, stop, halt, slow. And he can't see any of it. He just continues to put his foot on the accelerator, and then he hits a lamppost. Bang. Crashes. And he complains to God that God never answers him when he asks for a sign. None of this would have happened if you'd given me a sign. And the passages that we read in Isaiah are about signs. I don't know if you picked that up as we read it. And that scene in that film is truer to life than most of us would probably admit. That there are times when we're desperately asking God for a sign and missing everyone that he's put in our path. Because we're just focused on us. Remember that Isaiah prophesied during the reigns of the kings of Uh, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And this passage deals with an encounter, a confrontation that he has with King Ahaz, king of Judah. Now, Uzziah, we looked at last week, Uzziah had been a really good king, and he'd been a, a military genius, but he'd got full of pride And in his pride of of thinking how great he was, because of all the prosperity that Judah had enjoyed, he almost thought it was was because of him. And he takes upon himself that, that role of the priest to go into the temple and offer incense on the altar, and he's struck down with leprosy. And he dies, a leper. And in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah received his calling to be a prophet. Uzziah was um, succeeded by his son Jotham. Now, Jotham, if you want to um, read up about these kings, you can find them in 2 Chronicles 27, 28. And Jotham was a good king. It says he was a good king who walked steadfastly before the Lord, but he was not able to lead his people in the ways of the Lord. And the people continued in their corrupt practices. And Jotham is succeeded by Ahaz. Ahaz completely abandoned the Lord. Completely. 
He was 20 years old when he became king. He reigned for 16 years. We're told in the two Chronicles passages that he set up idols and worshipped them. He set up Baals, pagan gods. And if you remember the encounter that Elijah has with the prophets of Baal, you'll know who he is worshipping. He burned sacrifices in the Hinmon Valley. He sacrifices his own children in the fire and many other children. He had turned from the true living God to the occult. Inquiring of mediums and sorcerers. The things that God in Deuteronomy 18 had specifically said do not do. When you enter the land that the Lord your God has given you, do not follow the practices of the people there. Do not practice witchcraft, divination, sorcery. Yet he did. And Isaiah comes and confronts him and brings the warning of God's judgment. But isn't it amazing that even in that moment, the grace of God seeks to reach out? He offers signs. There are at least three signs in the reading that we had. But Ahaz will ignore all the signs, as we shall see, and hurtles towards his own destruction. Just a little bit about the historical, political background, just to put Isaiah in context. Isaiah is writing uh, 700 and so years before Jesus comes. And in the political arena, Assyria is emerging as the superpower of the day. Now, Israel, the northern kingdoms, the ten tribes, and Aram, or Aramea, or Syria, have joined forces together to oppose the Assyrian advance. So the northern kingdom of Israel and Syria have got together and say, we will form an alliance to stop the Assyrians coming. And they form an alliance to actually destroy Judah because Ahaz has refused to be in league with them. They're saying to Ahaz, join us or we will destroy you and we'll install our own puppet king. And in verse 2 of the uh, first reading we had, it says, Ahaz and the people's hearts were shaken as the trees of the forest were shaken by the wind. And if you've ever witnessed that, we have a great big tree outside of our house and when the wind blows, you can hear the, the branches shaking. But Ahaz is torn between two fears. He fears the invasion of Israel and Syria, but he fears more the hand of Assyria because he knows that Assyria is actually more powerful. But Isaiah confronts Ahaz with an offer of a radical alternative to those two fears. Isaiah confronts him and says, Forswear all other alliances and wholly trust in the Lord God Almighty, in Yahweh. You see, Isaiah says, if you fear him, all the other fears will go.
There's a promise and a warning. If you do not stand firm in your faith, says Isaiah, you will not stand at all. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And that's a challenge to stand firm in our faith. However we feel weak or we feel surrounded by enemies or things that confront us, we are to stand firm in our faith. Because if we abandon the faith, we have nothing left. We have left ourselves with nothing if we abandon our trust in God himself. And then there's this interesting bit where God actually speaks through the prophet but says and offers a sign to Ahaz. Verse 10, God speaks and offers Ahaz a sign. And Ahaz refuses the sign because he's call to be a prophet. It wasn't a really encouraging one. You will speak and they won't hear. You'll lay things out and they won't see them. That was his calling, to speak to a people who would not listen, to speak to a people who would not see. And there, in this confrontation with Ahaz the king, it is there spelt out. So the first sign that comes is that Isaiah comes with his son, Sheer Jashub. And it's... It's a thing that throughout the Old Testament, in the way that God uses the prophets, Isaiah has named his son Shear Jashub, which means a remnant will return. A remnant will repent. So his actual son is a sign to Ahaz. It's a prophetic sign in his son, the name of his son, a remnant will return, a remnant will repent. There is still time. Because Isaiah says that God says that the plans of Israel and Syria will not succeed. They will not come and destroy you. They will not. God said it. It won't happen. That's one of the fears done away with. He calls the two kings of uh, Syria and Israel smoldering wicks. The next sign offered but refused, which really provokes the Lord's anger, is the sign of Emmanuel. At first glance, when you read it, that Ahaz refuses the sign because he says, I won't put the Lord God to the test. When you first read it, you think, oh, isn't he being humble? Isn't he being spiritual? I won't put the Lord God to the test. He won't have a sign from God because he knows He's already worshipping the Baals. His heart's already been turned. He's not saying it out of pious humility or spirituality, but his heart has already hardened and he is refusing to repent. That's what it means. I won't have a sign from God because if God gives me a sign, I might have to repent. Therefore, I'm not going to ask for a sign. And we do it sometimes. I won't ask God what he thinks about this because I think I know what he'll say. I'll ask someone who might agree with me and then it'll be okay. Maybe that's none of us, I don't know. 
But I want to make that clear. He doesn't refuse the sign out of pious humility. He refuses it out of hard-heartedness and a refusal to repent. Ahaz doesn't do God anymore. So Isaiah announces the sign of Emmanuel. And out of all the verses that we read tonight, this is the one we would probably recognize as Christians, as followers of Jesus most, because we know that it's about Jesus. That verse 14 about the sign of Emmanuel finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Matthew actually says in chapter 1, verse 22, 23, talking about the birth of Jesus, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. Who? Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we read that at carol services. But have you ever asked, what did it actually mean in Isaiah's day? Because the prophet Isaiah, yes, he's prophesying about Jesus, without a doubt, because he sees Jesus. In fact, John's gospel tells us that Isaiah actually saw Jesus in that vision, in the temple. John says in chapter 12, Isaiah saw the Lord Jesus seated on the throne. But in the prophecies of the Old Testament, there is, there is an immediate meaning and an intermediate meaning and then the fulfillment meaning. So what does it mean? The Emmanuel sign contains a promise but also the threat of judgment. There is a promise of God's protection. A remnant will return. A remnant will repent. But there is judgment if God is rejected. And of all the books I read this week, various commentators came on on a couple of things. Firstly, that there was a literal sign. That there was a virgin birth, or certainly a young girl who gave birth to a child, a boy, whose name is Emmanuel. A prophetic sign to the people. In fact, the Hebrew um, translation, as I'm told by those who know these things, isn't actually virgin in that passage. In, in the Hebrew, it's young girl, young woman, potential bride, virgin. It's in the Greek, if you read Matthew's quotation of it, that it's virgin in the Greek. A miracle baby, a sign of God's presence with them. Before the child is old enough to celebrate his bar mitzvah, Israel and Syria will be destroyed. A literal sign. Or others have seen in it a bigger picture of a metaphor. That daughter Zion, young woman, conceives the faithful remnant. And that's the sign that God is with us, that God will be with the faithful remnant that will stay true to the Lord. And through that line will come the eventual fulfillment of that prophecy, the virgin who gives birth to a boy called Emmanuel, called Jesus, who is the savior of the world. I'll leave it up to you to decide which is 
the right interpretation. But instead, and this is the point, instead of trusting in God, Ahaz, after he's heard God say, Israel and Syria will not invade you, will not consume you, he still makes a pact with the king of Assyria. He empties his treasury to pay the king of Assyria. He pays tribute from the very temple. He takes the treasures from the temple to pay off the Assyrian king. He tries to buy peace with a tyrant. Appeasement. Peace in our time. But the plan doesn't work. Because the king of Assyria isn't like that. He's coming anyway. Notice the change in Isaiah's language. When there's the offer of a sign, ask the Lord your God. Ahaz refuses. Two verses later, verse 13. Will you try the patience of my God? Says Isaiah. There's been a shift. Because Ahaz has rejected the Lord. The implication, Ahaz has abandoned faith in the true living God Almighty. Historically, Syria falls to Assyria. I know it's confusing, Syria and Assyria, or Aram. And Aram falls in 732 BC to the invading forces. Israel, the northern kingdom, falls in 722 BC. And Judah will fall in 701 BC. And it's almost as if God is saying, I will use the king of Assyria to bring judgment. But the promise remains. The preservation of a remnant in Isaiah's day. And I believe it was that part of that process which led to the coming of Jesus. That true Emmanuel, God with us. The perfect righteous one. The perfect true Israel will come in Jesus. Which is what Matthew sees. The promise of life for all who will believe in the one who is God with us. That phrase, God with us, occurs three times in this prophecy from Isaiah. And even then, there is yet another sign for Ahaz. Remember the film, Bruce going down, there was one sign, there was another sign. Even then, there's another sign. And it's Isaiah's second son. Now, his wife, who was the prophetess, I think must have been really understanding. Because when they come to choose a name for the second son, and Isaiah says, uh, well, I think God's told us to call him Maha Shalal Hashbaz, um, which means quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. Imagine his first day at school. What's your name? Quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. But the sign is that judgment's coming. It's coming. And that Emmanuel sign is mentioned twice more in verse 10 and uh, verse 8 and verse 10. And then we have a series of words that Isaiah speaks that are familiar because they resound and uh, they have echoes in the New Testament. There is a call, do not follow. So he's speaking now to the remnant 
Do not follow the people or the king. There's almost a call to people. Who are you going to stand with? Who are you going to believe in? Do not follow the people. Do not follow the king. Stay true to the Lord your God. He is God with us, Emmanuel, Matthew 1. Do not fear what they fear, verse 12, 1 Peter three fourteen. In the context of persecution, Peter quotes from Isaiah and says, Yes, we have people who are pursuing us, seeking to kill us, but do not fear what they fear. Fear the Lord your God. Verse 13, fear the Lord, for he is holy. Peter again quotes that in 1 Peter 3 verse 15 when he talks about revering Jesus Christ as Lord. Fear him, he is holy, there is no one else. Then the other one, verse 14, a stone that causes men to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. We know that from Peter as well, don't we? He talks about a living stone and a chosen people. The stone the builders rejected. He is quoting from the prophet Isaiah. It's about Jesus. But you are a chosen people, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And Paul quotes from it too in Romans chapter 9 verse 33. When he's anguished over Israel's unbelief. Paul was a Jew. The early, the early Christians were Jews. But there is, there is a hardness among the Jews. As Paul writes his letters. And he's in anguish over Israel's unbelief. And he says the same quote. Jesus is the stone that causes men to stumble. A rock that makes them fall. And then Isaiah closes this Part of his prophecy with these words, Here I am, and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols from the Lord Almighty. He says, Here I am, and my children, the two boys with their funny names. We are signs and symbols from the Lord Almighty. And that's quoted in Hebrews 2. And as I read that, it just resonated with me that Jesus says about you and I that we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. It's as if Jesus comes and stands among his church and says, here am I and here are my children and we are signs and symbols sent by the Lord God Almighty. We are to be a prophetic people. In a lost world. In a world that's chasing after all other gods and all other things. And the Lord would say, no, you stay true to your faith. Don't follow what they follow. But even in this, you are a sign and a symbol. And that applies to every one of us. Wherever we are. Whatever our sphere of influence is. If we're a follower of Jesus, we're a sign and a symbol from Lord God Almighty. That there is another way, that there is another truth, the truth, the one and only truth, the Lord Jesus. We are a sign and symbol from the Lord. 
And so in these prophecies, which are remarkable to read now, in the 21st century as we read them and they say, we think it applies today. You could read that today. You could, you know, the prophet could stand up and say these things today and it would resonate as true. Living among a people who have looked for so many other gods. So the themes of Isaiah continue to be worked out. The sovereignty of God. The superpowers of insects, he says. Yeah, I'm going to call down you know, flies from Egypt and bees from Assyria, but that's all they are. He's going to use them to clear the ground in that painful passage as a razor clears unwanted stubble and other things. But he's looking for people who is who are wholeheartedly relying on God and not trusting in idols. Ahaz chooses to trust in Assyria and pays for it. Whatever we rely on other than God will eventually devour us. Whatever we rely on other than God will eventually devour us. Because it is the Lord God Almighty who loves us and has come for us. And if we fear the Lord above all fears, then the other fears will be driven away. So God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is looking for disciples and children and co-workers about whom he can say, here I am. And the children the Lord has given me, they are signs and symbols from the Lord God Almighty. Let's pray. At this moment, we're tempted to say, Lord, I'm not a very good sign or a very good symbol to the world, but we have the Holy Spirit within us. We have a hope That goes beyond death. We have a trust in the God who loves us. Who has revealed himself to us. So wherever we live. And wherever we work. And wherever we have our being. We are signs and symbols. Of the Lord God Almighty. Because we're his children. And whether we have funny names, prophetic names or not, we are children of the living God. And Father, I ask that by your grace, you'll give us the courage when it's required or when we have opportunity to stand up for you, to stand up for truth and righteousness and justice, to be prophetic to point people, to be signposts to the one who can save. Just as Isaiah was. And thank you, Lord, that we're even more privileged than Isaiah because Isaiah looked forward to that day. He looked to that day when you would come and and we look back and we know that you have come. The king has come. 
and the kingdom has come. To help us to take your word to heart and to be confident in who we are, that we and what we are may be not be revealed to the world right now, but one day it will be revealed. And we will see you and we will be like you. So thank you for the hope that we have. Thank you for this prophecy in Isaiah. Thank you that it pointed to you. And we love you, Lord Jesus. That you are the fulfillment of it all. You're the one that we worship. The one that we adore. The one we live for. And we wouldn't bow the knee to any other idol, anyone else, anything else but you. And we pray for our nation, Lord. We pray that you would turn us as a nation back to you. In all the idolatry that we might see around us, following after all manner of other things, but not you, the true living God, we pray that you would revive your church, a prophetic sign, not just here in the UK, but throughout the world, Lord, that you'd raise up your church to be a sign. We think of North Korea and the idolatry that is there. Places in our world where we just need to see your kingdom come, we, we cry out, Lord. Have mercy on us. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to close with a final song. And uh, let's stand together as we sing. <laughs>